The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Richard Bickle. He is an internationally acclaimed and award-winning photojournalist. His photos have captured images from 70 countries, and he has exhibited in galleries throughout the United States and published his work in the New York Times, National Geographic, Newsweek, and Condé Nast Traveler, just to name a few. He is a recipient of the Golden Quill for Photography and the New York Art Directors Club Award. He resides in Apalachicola, where he maintains a gallery of his photography in the town's historic district. Apalachicola, for those who don't know, is a delightful artistic community in the panhandle of Florida. And that's exactly where I saw his work. I was moved by his stunning and striking black and white images of the people who catch our oysters, shrimp, and fish from the panhandle. So I think, Richard, you have captured the grit of the Apalachicola waterfront culture, and that's what I'm hoping to talk about today. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the program, and uh, we need all the help we can get down here at the end of the pipe. And when I say at the end of the pipe, we're talking about a river system that goes from the Gulf of Mexico to Atlanta and beyond, roughly 500 miles. And here we have one of the most remarkable ecosystems on the planet, but at the same time, it's withering because Atlanta, with its exponential growth, is siphoning a great deal of water enough that it's actually killing our bay and, in particular, our trademark, and that is our world-renowned oysters. Exactly. I totally agree with you. We need all hands on deck right now, and I think that we really can't have a discussion about food or the environment and how those two interact without calling in scientists as well as artists. And that's why I really wanted to have you on the show today. So I want to help us all think and see how and where the food on our plate comes from. So I want to back up just a little bit and ask you about your history. How did you fall in love with photography and journalism? How did you come to this field? Well, that's a great question. I guess, like many artists, I come from a home that was by and large broken and, and dysfunctional, and every day was sort of the battle for Fallujah. So I would escape into my room and open up a geography book and, and gaze at the photographs and say, someday I'm going there. And eventually I did go there, and, you know, happily I've worked in, as you said, actually my account is up to about 80 countries, and it's just been a great curiosity for other cultures. And when I started working for the media, I was usually sent to developing countries and that's kind of what led me to come down here to Apalachicola. This was 20 years ago when I did the magazine assignment, and it introduced me to this bay and this town. And it was, in a way, third world, and I, I think that's why they said, well, let's send Bickle down there. And uh, <laughs> so I arrived on the shores of Apalachicola at dawn in East Point, which is where most of the oysters are brought in, and it was sort of a an epic Cecil B. DeMille third world scene of wooden boats and crusty oystermen and 
I couldn't believe I was in Florida, and, and if someone told me that I would eventually move here to Appalachia, I'd say, you're crazy. I mean, I envisioned Florida as a land of golf carts and blue hairs, but this place had guts, and in fact, uh, the smell uh, through my rental car window when I came here on assignment, I can still smell the, the fish guts wafting through in the humid air. Yeah, and you were originally from Pittsburgh, is that correct? Yes, uh-huh. So this is quite a culture shock, at least it was for me. I, too lived in north central Florida for a time, and coming from the northeast, I too found it to be a different world environment. And I wonder, how did you make that adjustment from being from a pretty gritty eastern urban city to living in this kind of off-the-grid and gritty seafaring culture? Yeah, well, I think that by the time I got here and having work extensively in other environments. It was a very easy and natural transition. I first started shooting just out of art school in Haiti, and after that, everything was really easy because the Haitians were often very volatile and doing street photography, and you might have a chair thrown at you, and the next minute they'd be laughing hilariously. And so working with other cultures, this was quite natural. It was, it, I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. So when you came to Apalachicola, what was your assignment? I had an assignment that was a cover story for a magazine called Travel Holiday. And I got a manuscript, and that's usually the way travel stories work for the photographer. They send you a manuscript and, and send you on your way. And this particular piece was fairly bland. And so it was a nice surprise when I got here and, and saw how exotic it really was. Again, the handcrafted oyster boats and uh, hard hand labor that you couldn't believe you were in Florida. Yeah. So are you able to communicate at all for any length of time with your subjects? You know, do you get to know their life stories at all? How do you introduce yourself and get close enough to get the kinds of high quality images you're able to capture? You know, I often get asked that, and it's a question that's really difficult to answer because every person is different, every dynamic is different. I think if you're going to call yourself a documentary photographer, you should have the genetic thread to be able to move with ease amongst people, whether they're your next-door neighbor or they're in a faraway land. So I think a lot of it just comes down to respect, and in this case, sometimes I call myself a lazy person, and these folks are working quite hard and, and living quite different life than I and so I kind of exalt them with my camera. I, I snap on a wide-angle lens, often an 18 millimeter size lens, and get right up into their face, so to speak. And to do that, I think you have to have a certain amount of confidence mm-hmm. and also respect. And this sort of photography where you're exalting the working man, you, you kind of squat down low and shoot up, and again, wide-angle and I think it's a, a bit of social realism, and I was certainly influenced in travels through the Soviet Union and, and seeing this epic art uh, stolen to start on buildings and the uh, working man being uh, celebrated. And that's kind of what I like to do here, and particularly for a culture and people that aren't terribly well-known outside of the Florida Panhandle or even Apalachicola. Mm-hmm. So you took the photographs that matched the manuscript that you were given, and I'm assuming that you then didn't stop taking pictures there. Pretty much so, yeah. It was certainly uh, a mystique about these people and this place. 
and very few people knew about it. So I took my film back home. The article was published, and I came back a few months later and bought a house, and here I am 20 years forward. Yeah. So are you still taking pictures there, or are you pretty much moving around on assignment now? Yeah, I am indeed. I'm still taking photographs and doing assignments as well outside the country, but unfortunately the raw material for someone like me is getting thinner. We're having, as I mentioned, a pretty rough time with water allocation and a smaller oyster harvest than we've had in the past. As an illustration, in 2012 we had 3 million pounds of oysters brought in from Apalachicola Bay. A year later it was 1 million. So you had quite a drop there. And that's sort of emblematic of the health of the bay in general because, as you probably heard, the shellfish are the canary in the coal mine. Mm. There are many sentinel species out there, and it's important that we pay attention to them. And I was really moved by an article that I read. You actually had this article out for the taking in your gallery, and it was from the Tallahassee Democrat, and the title was Richard Bickle Photographs Tough People Working in a Fragile World. And I was moved by this article because you told that story about how these are hardworking people. You spoke about the Atlanta water wars and how we've got this delicate balance and how everybody loves oysters, it seems, and yet what a threatened species. And so you had a display in Tallahassee, which is the state capital, in hopes of influencing policy. And so I wanted to know if... News ever got back to you that your photographs were effective in maybe reaching a policymaker? That's hard to say. I didn't have any direct news. All you could do is, is hope that your images did make an impression. And uh, physically, the photographs were on the top floor of the Capitol building in Tallahassee. The idea of the exhibit was spawned by Florida Cultural Affairs and the uh, gal who is head of Florida Culture Affairs, wanted to create an awareness with the legislators during legislative session so that we could put a human face on the folks who take a wage from the Gulf and who depend on these waters for a livelihood. And I imagine that the individuals in that region really don't have many other options. So perhaps their level of education isn't high, this is the work that their families have done. This is all they know. That's exactly true. And uh, the sad part about it is it's not just economic. If they're out of work, obviously, income is not coming in. If we don't have oysters, there's not food on the table or not too much. But this is a way of life, and this is their fathers, their grandfathers, and those before. I can give you a, a, just a quick telling of how much this water means to people who work on it. A few years ago, I was taking my friend James Kane, who was an elderly oyster man. I think he was still working at that time. He was about 75. We went up to Tallahassee to pick his wife up from the hospital. And on the way to Tallahassee from Apalachicola, which is about a 100-mile drive, road forks. The road forks to a land route, and the other route is Highway 98 on the water. And as I steered the car to the land route, James puts his hand on my shoulder and says, Richard, let's go along Highway 98. I don't want to lose sight of the water. Hmm. And it nearly brought tears to my eyes because the brutality of oystering, and imagine 
tongs, and this is how they're, they're gathered. You have 10-foot tongs. Imagine two oyster rakes that are riveted together to make tongs. Hour after hour, heaved onto a plywood boat in the brutality of, of the Florida panhandle sun. And these folks love what they do. And as long as I've worked here with that sort of watching these people with that sort of energy, that stamina required, I've, I've never heard a complaint mm-hmm. with, about the workload. They just want to be able to work and be left alone. Right. But unfortunately, that's never greater of a challenge when the bay is basically dying. Yeah. And this is just one example. You're capturing the photographs and the stories from this fragile environment, but I think that these fragile environments are in so many places in our country and the world. And I think it's so important for people who have the ability to show the story, tell the story and show the story, so that maybe we can rethink our connection to the environment. It's funny, I don't know if you ever hear this. So often I hear, well, we have to build or we have to sacrifice the environment for the economy or for jobs. We have to create jobs. And I can hear this going on, you know, upriver. But I don't hear often enough the recognition that we can't have a strong economy if we don't have a clean environment. Well, we're pouring drain down our own throats, and this bay is emblematic of fisheries and the environment worldwide. I pulled out a, an old Nature Conservancy magazine in preparation for this interview, and the um, cover story was about Apalachicola Bay, and it was like, a different place. I read the, the the piece about the how healthy the bay was, the mm-hmm. oysters that were supplying 10% of the nation, nation supply of oysters, and it was almost unrecognizable. Now this is what just 18 years later, and it's really a different place. Yeah. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are talking to Richard Bickle, who is an internationally acclaimed and award-winning photojournalist, and we're specifically talking about the series that he did about the land that he loves and where he lives, his home, Apalachicola, Florida, and specifically about the seafood industry there. Well, so you had this display in the state capitol, and yet... In public health, there's an expression, you know, we think upstream. We have downstream problems, but we want to go upstream to find the solutions. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, have you brought your artwork and these beautiful visual stories, the really compelling images, farther upstream? Yeah, I had an exhibit in Atlanta actually about six years ago at the uh, Fernbank Gallery. So, yeah, there was a certain amount of exposure, but we... We just need an incredible blast of education up that way. We need people to come down here and see what there is. It's, you know, there's a certain arrogance, I think. They have the political and economic muscle. They have 5 million going on 6 million people. We have 3,000. It's David and Goliath. So they really have to be educated. Maybe that was a little bit of education, but there has to be a lot more done in order to let these folks understand what's here. And then some may care and some may not just like in in any environmental discussion. 
Now, I know that you have good friends that work with the Riverkeeper Alliance, and that's a great organization. And I'm trying to expand the view to think about some strange bedfellows who you may not have thought about working with in the past. So my world circles around food and the love of this seafood that comes from this region. And, you know, I don't know how many fancy restaurants I've been to that don't have some sort of seafood on the menu. And, of course, with the whole idea of fighting for country of origin labeling and how we want to know where our food comes from, you know, we can get shrimp from Indonesia, we can get shrimp from China, or we can get shrimp from the Florida Gulf. I'd rather get it from the Florida Gulf, but I'm not sure people are connecting the dots to we need to protect this world if we want the high-quality food on our plates. Well, we do indeed have some of the best uh, seafood in, in the country. And speaking of shrimp, the shrimping industry is, is not doing too bad, although the BP Gulf oil spill makes you scratch your head and say, well, we hope it does continue because in Alaska, at uh, Prince William Sound, it took them five or six years to realize they lost all the herring from yeah. from, from that area. They were they did fine the first year after the Valdez spill, and then a couple of years later, the herring were gone. So we're hoping for the best, but uh, right now it's it's quite a struggle, and and what's going to happen is rather dubious. Well, one of the things that you spoke about in the article from the Tallahassee Democrat was how the oil spill in the Gulf closer to Louisiana in 2010 really struck the community in Apalachicola hard in that you spoke to people who were needing to take antidepressants because they were worried that they were going to lose it all. Well, this is a way of life, as I mentioned earlier. It's uh, generational. It, there's salt water in their veins. It's about putting food on the table for sure, but it's also about folks who would not uh, survive in a structured workplace. But it's also about folks who never complain about the workload, and they're out there every day harvesting oysters, catching shrimp, catching crabs, and it's not an easy life, but it's a life they're proud of, and it's a life that makes them whole. Is one of the strategies to keep this region alive and well helping the community organize on a grassroots level so that they become more politically vocal or active, or do you find that the community is not wanting to have that kind of role? Ah, Good question. I think more and more folks are getting involved in trying to protect the Bay. Uh, a big factor is, is, as you mentioned, the um, Apalachicola River Keeper and their hard work in um, addressing all sorts of environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find so often, and I hate to generalize, but I see so often communities don't want to get involved politically, that they're not comfortable operating in that world, and yet they may not vote, they may not be involved at all, or they may vote for policies that actually hurt them because the propaganda is so effective. Yeah. Well, um, we've had some outside help. When I say outside, uh, folks from outside Franklin County, and that would be um, strange bedfellows indeed, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, who are not necessarily known for their environmental initiatives. They were here um, two years ago uh, on the riverfront 
announcing a lawsuit which is going to be heard in the Supreme Court against Atlanta, Georgia, that is, uh, fighting for uh, the, uh, our deserved allocation of water to keep our bay alive. And uh, that was very encouraging to all of us for them to physically come here and then make that announcement, make that initiative to get this into the Supreme Court where it is right now, and we're just waiting until it's going to be heard and, and being hopeful for uh, the outcome. I mean, Atlanta, once again, has you know 6 million people, and we have 3,000. So it's, uh, it's David and Goliath. Yeah. Well, and I think that if people don't feel an affinity for the environment, they may be reached through economic terms. So how much money is the seafood industry in that little part of our world bringing into Florida's economy? Perhaps that's the route to take with some. Well, I'd like to think so, but at the same time, our oyster catch is is very, very slim. Shrimping is is pretty good, but um, it's no better than any other town along the Gulf Coast. So economically, it's, it is indeed a challenge to um, use that factor in terms of uh, protecting the bay. Well, but tourism is increasingly uh, popular in, in Apalachicola, and folks love to come to this, this town and see the working oyster boats and, and shrimp boats on the waterfront. It's rusticity. It's, it's beautiful, and it's unusual in Florida to have a, a real working waterfront. And so... That's being encouraged on a local level, but it's pretty hard for us, with uh, as small as we are, to make any major impact on environmental issues, mm-hmm. no matter how loud we scream. Right. I wonder, you know, if it would have been effective to say, you know, these fancy people come to your town and they have so much power in terms of their policy. What if you said, no, you can't have any oysters? You, know, you can show them the menu, but you can say, no, you can't eat those until we clean up the bay. I don't know. Yeah. That might that might be the the crowbar that uh, to answer the question. We our oysters are world renowned, and you know, every day in my gallery I'm interacting with with tourists, and the subject always comes up: What's going on with the oysters? We went to a restaurant, and they're from Louisiana. We can yeah. barely have enough to supply just the town of Apalachicola. So yeah, yeah. All, you know, we've had a perfect storm here against the oysters and against the bay, and that was. As we mentioned, the ongoing siphoning of the Apalachicola River, but it was also the the threat of the BP oil spill. And the state of Florida said, "Go ahead, take everything out of here," because we were 100% sure that that oil was coming in here. Mm. Uh, happily, it stopped over in Pensacola. We didn't get any here, so the state said, "Go ahead, clean out the bay," and the bay was cleaned out all the way down to bare mud. Right now, as we speak. There are barges going out into the bay laden with lime rock and, and oyster shells to reseed the bay because when the oysters spawn, they need to have habitat. They need to have something to stick to the, yeah. the spawn. And so happily the state's been involved in that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the answer if we end up closing the bay for 18 months, which a lot of folks have recommended. And it's people on both sides. It's the government and the oystermen. So if the bay is closed for 18 months and the oysters are allowed to recover, now remember the um, oysters, uh, an Apalachicola oyster can grow to maturity in uh, six or seven months versus the same species up in the Chesapeake, it would take a full year. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So this would keep oystermen working, receding the bay. If we can get the initiatives through in Congress and problem solved, at least hopefully we'll, we'll go in that direction of, of solving the problem of uh, reinvigorating our bay. And the oysters, by the way, are um, not just for eating, but they also are cleaning, they, they clean the water. They absorb uh, 200 gallons of water a day. And so you have cleaner water and therefore a more vital ecosystem with a a healthy uh, oyster. Absolutely. I want to go back and talk a little bit about your art itself. Your gallery is beautiful, but all of the photographs that I saw were black and white or sepia, if memory serves me correctly. Mm. And I wonder why you made that decision, because I know online you've got some color images from different trips. Why just the black and white or sepia? I think when I arrived here, I was quite amazed at just how timeless this place was because it was removed. It was other era. And in order to define that, in order to articulate that, I guess I should say, black and white just seemed to be ideal. And it's a warm tone black and white, so it's a little bit of sepia. And it, it just was sort of the statement I wanted to put forward in terms of this place is is traditional. It's old Florida. There ain't nothing like it. So, um, but I have done my share of color. In fact, most of my work has been color, particularly in in the third world and places like Haiti and Cuba, Yemen, you name it. And uh, I love color too, truth be told. But here, it's uh, black and white. Just seems to be the um, the proper medium to uh, tell the story. Well, they're absolutely beautiful, and I want to make sure that our listeners know about your website. It's simply www.richardbicklephotography.com, all one word, and Bickle is spelled B as in boy, I-C-K-E-L. And we'll provide a link to that as well so people can see your beautiful work. We just have a couple of minutes, so I want to make sure I leave you with an opportunity. Is there anything you want our listeners to know? Yeah, Um, I really would because... There's an environmental group, and you already mentioned it, Apalachicola, A-P-A-L-A-C-H-I-C-O-L-A, ApalachicolaRiverkeeper.org. These people are the noblest, finest people you'll meet on this earth. And in the private sector, they could be making a lot of money. But they're downtown in Apalachicola fighting for the life of this bay. And I don't know how we would survive, with how this bay could survive without these people. These folks going to Congress, both in Tallahassee, the, the, calling on the state legislators there in, in the U.S. Congress. They have good connections. They work hard. They're on the water every day. They're fighting for this bay. And uh, anyone who has visited here, or even if you haven't, I think it uh, it might be uh, we, we, we would invite you to give any support that you can to these good people. And do you think that your subjects, what do you think their message to the listeners might be? Maybe articulated by an oysterman I, I ran into the other day on the town wharf, and he said, we just want to be able to work and be left alone. And um, unfortunately, that's a pretty tall order in today's world because we need clean water. And if land is not giving us clean water, we're going to die. Our legacy, our, our identity is our bay and the health of the bay, our oysters, our ecosystem, which is one of the most massive ecosystems on the planet, on the earth. And that's 
pretty much the message. Well, I want to thank you so much, Richard, for being my guest today. We're out of time, but in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I want to thank you, Richard Bickle, internationally acclaimed photographer who is telling the story of Apalachicola so beautifully. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Melinda, and thank you for your interest in our uh, in a very special place. Absolutely.